54. This is Greg Duncan and all of my co-hosts either can't attend or are having Skype issues. We almost had Martin on. It was this close, but uh, the Skype blocker just just Skype blocked it. He was <laughs> it was through. So it's just going to be me and our guest. Um this is we're going to try to do a new tradition and two years in a row. I'm not sure if that counts as a tradition. We'll have to see what happens next year. But um, do, do you guys listeners, do you, do you remember who we had the very first guest in 2017? Well, he's back for 2018. It's Mr. Donovan Brown. Very cool. I did not realize that I was the first one. It's been a year. It's been a year, my friend. Wow. OK, so, yeah, definitely call me back in 2019. We'll do this again. <laughs> <laughs> that will make it an official tradition, right? Three years. Yeah, ago? absolutely. <laughs> well, let me get the bio in case read your bio in case um, people don't know you. Which sure, I'm sure there's like one and a half people out there <laughs> who may not know. You. Now they're not the people I gave the stickers to because you know when I do the whole Radio TFS stickers thing, you guys send me an email, a tweet, and I'll send you stickers. Well, I not only send Radio TFS stickers, but I send your DevOps stickers to them as awesome. well. Awesome. Oh, very, very cool. Yeah, we we lost a lot of those last night at the at a at a, at a meetup. It was like two hundred of them just gone. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> okay, well, Donovan Brown, meet the man in black. Donovan Brown is a principal DevOps manager on Microsoft's cloud developer advocacy team. Advocacy team. <sighs> yeah, and it's black shirt. <laughs> what I say? You said meet the man in black. I was like, I'm not Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, meet the man in the black shirt. That's yeah. it. Black shirt is, uh, well, why is DevOps one of the hottest topics? Because it hurts the most. Luckily, Donovan's unofficial tagline is hashtag rub DevOps on it, and he's here to make it all the best. Before joining Microsoft, Donovan spent seven years as a process consultant and certified scrum master. Developer tools are his thing. Donovan has traveled the globe, helping companies in the U.S., Canada, India, Germany, and the U.K. develop solutions using agile practices, Visual Studio, and Team Foundation server, and industries as broad as communication, healthcare, and energy, and financial services. What else keeps his wheels spinning on the man in the black shirt? Donovan's also an avid programmer, often finding ways to integrate software into his other hobbies and activities, one of which is professional air hockey, where he has ranked as high as 11th in the world. Now, Donovan, last show, your your ending line was talking about your um, the fastest online growing registration site for motorsports, dlbracing.com. Right. This year, it's air hockey. And were you really 11th? In the world? Or you, in no. the world, yeah. I, I went to the World Championships in Denver, and it was really interesting because I went, I felt unprepared. I, I told my wife, I was like, you know what? Let's just go. Let's support the team. But I'm not I'm not really um, not optimistic about where I'm going to finish. And I kind of went in with this I don't care attitude and played my ass off. And next thing I know, I'm thinking, what do you mean I'm in the top 16? What do you mean I'm number 11 in the world? Like, <laughs> what just happened, right? It's like, maybe I take it too seriously or I put too much pressure on myself when I go in there trying to compete. But when I went in with this kind of like, I'm just coming here to have fun, next thing I know, I'm 11 in the world. It's like, wow, that was just unbelievable. That's crazy. Yeah. And are you still doing the racing thing? Uh, yeah, actually, um, we I was going to go out last weekend, but I was preparing for Canada where I just was yesterday. Uh, so I didn't get to go, but I do I have a car specifically just for racing and the website, I'm sending out invoices this year. I do them all in January, so it's still doing well. Uh, so yeah, racing, this is something I'm going to do for, for as long as I can. Nice. Nice. Well, Mr. Brown, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Oh, absolutely, my friend. Does it, going, 
listeners, you know, we, we do these little talking points, discussion points, and, and we share these before the show and we talk about them in pre-show and stuff and, uh, you know, try to keep us going off the rails. So the very first one was welcome back. The second thing is I'm going to go totally off the rails now. Um, Donovan, you, you are like speaking everywhere all the time. Does that make you crazy? Is it awesome? Are you still nervous every time you do it? Or That's interesting. Someone asked me last night, was I nervous still when I got on stage? Generally, it's not nerves, it's excitement, especially if it's a keynote for Scott. Like, So Scott Guthrie's <laughs> keynotes are, are obviously there why we do this, right? And I, I, I tweeted a picture of actually one of my team members. I just built a team here at Microsoft. So actually, lots changed since the last time I spoke. I don't even have the same role. I'm not even on, on Martin's team anymore. I actually am a manager now, and I built a team that it's called the League of Extraordinary Cloud DevOps Advocates. We just call this the League for short. But one of my team members has this amazing picture that was taking of him as he's backstage. So it's like dark backstage. You can see the light of the stage, and he's waiting to get invited on stage by the, the MC. And I, was, I tweeted it again saying that is the moment that is so special as a speaker. It's that all that preparation – all that time, all the rehearsal all comes down to right now when you hear Scott say, I'd like to invite Donovan Brown on stage. And even saying that to you right now, if we had video, you can see the hair on my arm standing up. I mean, that is why I rehearse so hard is because I want to go out there and just kill it for him every single time. And it's such a special moment. So does it get, do I get nervous? No, but I get extremely, extremely excited and I get very, very focused. I pace around a lot. So if you've ever seen me backstage, I'm constantly moving until it's time for me to go, right? And then I stand there and I'm waiting for the, the person to release me and then it's a blur. I honestly can watch some of my keynotes and not, I'm, I'm looking at it as if I've never seen it because I don't remember the nine minutes I was on stage. I remember the time before I got on stage and I remember the time when I left stage, but that nine minutes is always a blur. It's just, I've rehearsed it so much that I'm on autopilot and to me, it's more that I'm performing than I'm demoing. You know, I might as well be on Broadway when I'm up on this. <laughs> well, you look so natural when you do it. I've, I've been out in the audience and I've seen you go up there and do it. And yeah, you seem so comfortable, even like when we're talking here. You just seem very comfortable in your skin. Oh, thank you. And that what's funny is that everything that you see at a keynote specifically Everything is rehearsed. The laughs, the chuckles, the jokes, the pauses. I literally rehearse everything. It's. I remember I was at Connect this year, and I literally got sick of the sound of my own voice. <laughs> I had said those nine minutes so often. I was like, if I say this one more time, I'm going to like kill my. I'm going to go lose it because this is like I can't hear myself say this, but I can't stop saying it for fear that I'll mess up when I get on stage. So it's this horrible cycle that I go through. And I, and I, ever, as I'm preparing, I tell myself every time this is the last time I'm doing this, I'm never doing this again. It's not freaking worth it. It's 30 days of my life that I've gone for what nine freaking minutes. It's not worth it. And then I, and then Scott calls you on stage. You're like, this is why I did that. It is totally freaking worth it every time. How cool is that? Uh, do you record yourself during those uh, rehearsals? Uh, I, not during the rehearsals, but what I do is I time myself quite a few times and I run through the exact demo. I mean, the clicks where I'm going to type, what keystrokes I'm going to use. It's, it's, it's mind numbing, right? But it's to the point where when he calls me, I know it's going to go well because I literally have done this hundreds of times, not once or twice, not in the dry runs, not in the rehearsals for Scott. I've done this hundreds of times. So now it's just get out there and enjoy the moment have fun with it and know that your demos are going to work. Know that you're going to nail the physical part because you've been practicing that for months, right? It's, it's unbelievable amount of preparation. And it was funny when uh, Abel, he, he I me the other day, says, dude, I broke Azure. I'm like, you ran out of service principles? He's like, yeah, how did you know? I'm like, yeah, welcome to the club. You now have rehearsed as much as I do, right? <laughs> 
because there's a quota on the number of service principles you can get. And if you rehearse the same demo too often, you literally will hit a quota that says you cannot create any more service principles. And your <laughs> demos just start failing. I was like, yeah, don't worry. Hold on. And I gave him a script. I said, run the script. He's like, you really have been here before. I'm like, yep. Welcome to the club. <laughs> I was like, now I trust you to go speak for Scott for me because I know you're rehearsing to the point to where you're breaking stuff. Right. And that's it's unbelievable. So do me a favor, being that you, you kind of like are Mr. DevOps or, you know, hashtag rub DevOps on it guy and you got the sticker to prove. Um, what, refresh our listeners as to what you think or you say you share as what DevOps. DevOps is the union of people, process and products to enable continuous delivery of value to our end users. And it took me 30 days to write that sentence. <laughs> it took soul searching. It took edits. It took confiding in some of my friends. Like Dave McKinstry was instrumental. I went back and forth with him several times on should it be customer? Should it be end user? I really don't like this word combine. I think I feel better with the word union because I think a union sounds more permanent. Um, I used to say tools, but I moved it to products. I mean, literally every word in there I can defend. It's, it's kind of interesting because I've been challenged. I can't tell you how many times. But after they hear me defend it, they're like, holy crap. It's like, yeah, I mean, don't I did not just write this down and throw this against the wall to see if it stuck. I labored over this sentence, one sentence. Um, but it's amazing because that one sentence is why I'm talking to you in, in a many in many effects because so many people can attach to it. So many people see that value is the most important thing. The stickers that we give out, I did not design those stickers. Those stickers were designed by a third party. Willie Peter just he loved the definition. He went and created stickers, and now we give hundreds of them away at every event. It's just like unbelievable that people want my name <laughs> on the back of the laptop. And I mean, that even reminds me of the time I had to autograph a laptop. And like, it's like, I don't understand what's happening here. How did this sentence change my life? But if you go to visualstudio.com, whack DevOps, the definition you see that is owned by Microsoft, those are my words. And it's really a proud moment when I go there. I'm like, wow, I just, I can't believe this company is amazing as it is. Embrace those words and uses it as like their beacon for what we're going to do to be successful at DevOps. So now I have to ask, I've been a developer for a, a number of years. And I, I saw the rise of unit testing and, uh, you know, continuous integration. And we've been doing a lot of this stuff for a long time. How is DevOps today different than the stuff that we've been doing before? Well, that's a really good question. And what I think you, you're talking about a lot of the best practices that are integral to DevOps. You talked about uh, unit testing, which I think is important to actually design the quality into the product instead of bolting it on later. And you also talked about continuous integration, which is the catalyst that starts all your code moving down the pipeline. Yes, we've been doing that for years. But how well have you been doing at deploying that code? Right? And that's where I think the rub comes in. And when I'm telling the story of DevOps, I start off with the planning because it all starts with an idea. And then you go to the development. And I said, most of our customers, as you just described, are good at that. They figured that part out. They know what branching strategy they want to use. They know if they want to use centralized or distributed version control. They know how to do the development. They know how to write unit tests. They know how to compile it. And they know how to package it. I'm like, great. How are you doing at deploying it? Oh, well, we deploy every six months, and it's a nightmare, and all hands are on deck, and it's all manual. And it's like, yeah, interesting, right? Because that's where most of our customers need help. And that is where the automation portion of DevOps comes in. Because it shouldn't be manual. It shouldn't be painful. It should be something you don't even think about. I tell a lot of my customers, if your developers have to do anything more than commit to a repository to deploy code, you still got work to do. Because that's all I should do as a developer is commit to a repository. That change should be built 
packaged, tested, and deployed completely automatically. And that's where DevOps starts to kind of help our customers go beyond just continuous integration into continuous delivery, automating their entire pipeline, and actually deploying those increments of shippable code. And then it doesn't stop there, though. People think, oh, great, I've deployed it, I'm done. Well, you're not really, because you need to monitor that code now that it's in production. You can't just assume that you delivered value. You can't put new pages on a website, pat yourself on the back and say, look at all that value we delivered. Really? Is anyone using it? Because if no one's accessing those pages, you did not deliver value. And even if they are accessing those pages, but they're not going to the next page and let you know that they're actually getting value from that, then you did not deliver value. You just copied random files to a server as far as I'm concerned. So you have to monitor it. You have to understand that 90% of the people that come to our website after deploying that page access that page. Like, wow, okay, that's that's good. Our navigation was good. It was intuitive. It was easy to find. Are they actually yielding the value that we wanted from that page? Yes, because they're clicking the button that takes them to the next page. Like, great, that's value. And we have the metrics that prove it. Another reason that I think it's really important to monitor your application is to call bullshit when necessary. <laughs> I'm serious. We've all, if you've been a developer as long as you have, you remember when a marketing guy came running into your office and basically said, drop everything that you're doing. I don't care what's on your backlog. This is more important. This is going to make us rich. And you, as a developer wanting to please, moved heaven and earth, stayed there all night and all weekend, and you got that new feature into the product. And then you pushed it out. Did it actually make you guys a million dollars? Did it actually, was it really the right thing to do? And you had no metrics to tell that guy to just buzz off. But now, the next time that happens, do yourself a favor. Use Application Insights or Dynatrace or any other type of tool and put some custom telemetry in there. So, okay, the marketing guy says this is so important. Every time someone uses it, you let me know, right? And then you go ahead and push it out. Go ahead and move heaven and earth like you normally do. And then when he comes back and does it again, he's like, no, 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 no. That last thing that you told me to do, three people have seen it. Right. So I know you don't know what you're talking about. And I can actually say that with confidence and with metrics and not with my gut feel and with angst in my voice. So that telemetry is extremely, extremely important. It also helps you determine if the priority of your backlog is correct. We start with the idea. We start with planning it. But it doesn't end there because what you want to do is say, I believe that our priorities are X, Y and Z. We did X and we deployed it. If no one uses it, you were wrong, right? That is not the most important thing, and you need to reevaluate your product backlog. Maybe try a different experiment. Move them around and see what your customers actually respond to. And when you finally see the needle move, thanks to the telemetry, again, not guessing, not, not some type of hocus pocus, but the telemetry says what you just did, the majority of your customers are actually yielding value from that. That is what we need to do more of. Let's go ahead and find other things similar to that in our product backlog and move those up. And let's keep moving the needle in the right direction. So, again, it's a full circle, planning, development, release, and then monitor and learn, and then go back and watch that circle go over and over again. Dude, you brought tears to my eye. <laughs> in, in, in both laughter and sympathy and just shared pain, because uh, I call that Devo. <laughs> we haven't done the PS yet. We haven't done the performance monitoring or the telemetry or the tracking. You know, if you're just doing it to the CD part, you're not doing DevOps. Nope, you're not. The feature flags and application performance monitoring and the usage telemetry, you know, that stuff. Oscar, my cohort in crime here at work, and, and David, my manager, you guys, this is why I whine about telemetry and feature flags. You just heard it from Donovan. Yes. And what, what I would tell you to do is don't even I – mean, no, they're not, well, if they're listening to your show, they're about to hear me say this. Don't ask for permission. And and I did this last night. So I was in Canada last night at a meetup in Vancouver. And when I was done, I could see people all excited. But I could also see a little bit of anxiety in their eyes. And I said, 
go ahead and ask the question. And they would, like, I know what you want to ask me. You're excited and you want to say, Donovan, how do I go back and ask permission to do this tomorrow? I'm like, don't ever ask for permission to go do your job. Your job as a developer is to deliver value to your customers. And then you want, I've just showed you continuous integration. I've just showed you continuous delivery. I've shown you these amazing automation techniques. And you want to go back to work tomorrow and try to convince people who don't get it that you need to go do these cool new things. I'm like, take 15 minutes of your day and just go do it, right? Because they don't know that you're not doing it. They won't know that you are doing it, but you get your weekends back. You get your nights back. It's like, and to me, it's so absurd. Now you're asking me if you can go do these automated things when what you should have to ask permission for is how you do it today. Can I please do it manually? Can I please screw up every other time? Can I please accidentally mess up the web doc config? Because that's what you do on a daily basis and you don't ask permission to do that. And I'm saying stop doing that, yet you feel like you have to go ask permission. It just blows my mind that people just don't go back to work the very next day and start implementing the stuff that I show them. That is awesome advice. Hard hard to beat that advice. It, it, it is, and, and, and it's what you should do, right? I mean, it's your job. I mean, how how is it that I'm telling you, you can set, and another thing I tell people a lot too is continuous integration. If you do not have it, go do it tomorrow. Yeah. Take five minutes, take 10 minutes and go set it up. I said, you will get instant benefit. And they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, have you ever been on a team where everyone is broken because one individual checked in code that was broken and they nodded their head and had said, yes. Like had you had continuous integration, only one person would have been broken. The guy who committed that code because everyone else would have been notified by the CI system. Whatever you do, don't pull the repo because it's broken right now. Keep working on the repo that you have while we have this individual fix the build. And when it's green again, then you can pull it and you can continue working. So if you've ever been on a team and you are you couldn't work because someone else broke the build, you didn't have a CI system that you could monitor. It instantly gives you feedback. And another thing that I tell people, because I get, I get on a soapbox when it gets, it gets me so excited. I'm like, guys, come on. Just go do this. If I'm on a team of 50 developers and we do not have continuous integration and I go back to work the next day and I add continuous integration, who else on the team did I affect? Zero people. Nobody has to know that I did that. But I'm going to be the developer that continues to be able to work when one of those other 49 people break the build because I'll know that it's broken because the CI system will tell me so. The other 49 people, unfortunately, might get broken, and they're going to wonder why I'm not over there by the water cooler wasting time, and I'm over here working. Like, how are you still working? Didn't you do a get latest this morning? Like, hell no, I didn't do a get latest this morning. <laughs> Our CI system told me the build was broken, and they're going to be like, a CI system, and you'll be able to explain that to them. You don't have to go convince them before. Let the results speak for themselves, and that will be the way that you're going to spread it throughout your organization. You cannot convince me of something I haven't done for 30 years, and I've been successful not doing it for 30 years, that I need to start doing tomorrow. Just do it and let the results speak for themselves. So now i got a question for you, off the rails again. Now, when I've got... I've got like three levels of bills. Um, we have our continuous integration, which happens, uh, we, we're using TFS 2017.3, um, obviously on-prem. I've got a CI build for each one of our major projects, so that's obviously uh, triggered on check-in. Yep. We do a nightly build, which does our sonar cube analysis. It does additional unit testing. Our CI builds, I don't have them doing unit testing. Understood. Uh, but our nightly builds, I do do unit testing, um, and I also do the, you know, clean all the build directories, all the directories, and get fresh, do the nightly builds and everything else. And then we have a release build that is what's actually connected to our releases in TFS that does all the tests and everything, but it doesn't do the, the sonar cube analysis. Is that stupid? Is that overkill? Is that underkill? I'm, I'm listening to you describe it, and, and 
my my first thing that concerns me is that you don't run unit test in your CI build. And I'm sure the reason why is because they take too long. And what we do here at Microsoft is we have different levels of unit test. We have L0s and we have L1s. Even inside of our pull request, we run a build as part of our pull request. In that pull request, we run 69,000 unit tests. And we do it under seven minutes, <laughs> right? So why would you not run them if it only takes seven minutes to run them, right? So my even just hearing what you're saying, my intuition is saying, okay, your unit tests take a really, really long time to run, and that's why you're avoiding running them in your CI build because you don't want your developers to, to wait. Yeah. I would say find the critical path you, uh, unit test and at least run those in your in, in, in every build, right? Because just because it compiles does not mean that code works. And what I would do is like go ahead and get categories of unit tests, right? These are the core. These have to work. If these don't work, there's no point in even checking this code in. I would have those run in every single build. And it should be a smaller subset, and they should be extremely fast. The fact that you're not running your unit test starts to make me wonder if they're truly unit tests either. Because unit tests are usually very isolated, extremely fast. If we can run 70,000 of them in less than seven minutes and you're avoiding running yours, uh, something smells funny to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're right. definitely not unit tests. I, they're I, probably I integration tests, right? They're absolutely integration tests. Okay, yeah. perfect. So what you would, what I would do in a startup like you just described is I would run my unit test, true unit test. And, and if you don't have some, start writing some because integration tests are hard to maintain uh, and obviously they're slow. And get you some really unit tests that you can go and run against every single commit to give you confidence that, yes, this code is good. Everyone should pull the latest repo and get to work on that code. Your integration tests usually don't run in your build, which is kind of funny that you're running them in your build. Generally, you run those in your release because you have to deploy the bits so that you have the latest database schema, so that you have the application actually stood up to where you can then go run your Selenium test, run some uh, some unit tests, quote unquote unit tests that actually access other resources. But those resources have to be deployed first, and that usually doesn't happen in your build. And I'm using, and I'm saying usually. I never say never, because I've seen people have justifications on why they actually do a deployment in their build. And our build system with TFS and BSTS allows you to do whatever you want in build or release, right? So we've kind of blurred that line a little bit. But what I would do in your scenario that you just described is I would have a CI build that actually runs unit tests. I I just wouldn't trust a build that just compiles. That makes me a little nervous. I would then. Only run your integration test at night like you're doing it. So your nightly build should be the build that does exactly what you described, cleans everything, does a fresh build, pulls everything great, runs a huge battery of tests, could take hours. We don't care because we're asleep anyway, right? But when we come home in the morning, we have this signal letting us know, how did we do yesterday, right? Was it healthy? Do we have something that we need to go work on? Now, I don't understand why you wouldn't be able to then deploy from your nightly build. What you can do in release management I mean, you're having to commit code to another branch or do a merge or something, which makes me a little bit nervous as well, because every time you merge, you could potentially introduce something that wasn't in the previous branch that you're merging from. So you, know, you follow what I'm saying there? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and in this case, in our case, we're deploying to a, a, there's a product in the legal industry called Relativity. Okay. And it is an ASP.NET application, and it has an ex- a pretty awesome extensibility model, uh, but it's definitely not meant for continuous development, continuous release. We have to integrate with it. We, we have these application packages that are zip files within zip files. We have to unpackage those. We have to tweak the configs, you know, uh, transform all the configs and everything else, rezip them up, rebuild the packages, deploy them to a server, get them back, and then that becomes the deployment target for something else. So there's a whole series of things that it, it really 
the nightly build we don't do in the nightly build because that would be over. Gotcha, gotcha. And that, again, sounds like something that would be a much better candidate for release management. Now that I have our – so it sounds like what you're actually building on your CI build are the extension points that you've written for this other system. Is that accurate? Uh, correct. But the, the, the one thing that why we do it in the build is that we want that single artifact to be, we have multiple environments where it's going to be deployed. To. Got it. Perfect. Yeah. So the end goal of your build should be one thing that I can move across the entire pipeline. You don't want to rebuild per environment. That's a no-no. Uh, but you still are kind of rebuilding before you get that final handoff, which is fine because even in VSTS, we have a build that runs as part of your pull request. If you survive the pull request, it is built again instantly in our CI system, right? And again, we do the kind of elevated adding up more tests. We run 70,000 L0 tests in our pull request. Then you go into the CI system, you run our L1 and L2 test, and then we go into release and we run another battery of tests as well. So we're constantly testing it, but the tests basically get longer and more mature as we move further down the pipeline. So um, the nightly build, I think the way that you're doing it as well, again, I would really encourage you to get some true unit tests you can run as part of your CI. And then the only part that I'm still having a little bit of a disconnect with is if your nightly build does all of that, why don't I just connect that to my release pipeline versus having another build that I have to run and then start my release? Because the nightly build doesn't do the whole packaging into that relativity um, scope type of deliverable. Gotcha. And it's that deliverable, that single, it's called a wrap file, R-A-P. It's basically a zip file with XML and manifest and stuff in it. It's okay. that wrap file that we deploy to multiple environments. Gotcha. And why, if, if you're doing it at night and everyone's asleep anyway, why not just produce that in your nightly build? Because there's downsides on relativity the way it automatically version numbers some things, uh, there's overhead, storage overhead on it. So doing it every night would be kind of a pain. Plus, we will do, when we're in the development cycle, de uh, deploying to our release and QA environments, we'll do this uh, release build multiple times a day. I see. So, you know, we could do the nightly multiple times during the day, but... Yeah, no, just curious. I'm just thinking, and I'm and I'm I'm trying to connect the dots in my head. But the first two things you said don't concern me. This one, I would I would if we had time and we weren't on a show, I'd probably dig a little <laughs> bit deeper into that, right? I kind of want to see like I need you to justify that to me a little bit more, or at least yeah. get the, the connect the dots for me on on why we're why we're not leveraging what we produced at night, which should be solid, verified, all the tests have been run, blessed binary. Like that's that's the one, guys. Let's take that one and deploy it. I'm just kind of gonna have to learn more about your scenario and why that's not happening. Which is kind of like the also the standard uh, answer, you know, it depends. It does, it does, and I, <laughs> I tell that to all. It's a funny story that goes with the, the. I was in Denmark, I think it was, and I was meeting with a customer there. And said, Donovan, um, where should we start uh, with DevOps? I'm like, you start with whatever hurts first. And he's like, Yeah, that's not good enough. I'm like, What do you mean that's not good enough? I'm like, that's where you start. You don't stop and do the whole pipeline at once. You you're gonna make mistakes. You don't even know what you don't know yet. Just focus on the one thing of your system that hurts the most. Go fix that, and then something else will jump out and say, I now hurt the most because you've solved that problem. And then go fix that. He's like, Nope, that's not good enough. I need you to tell me exactly where to start. I was like, Well, it's different for every customer because I don't know where you are. If you don't have source control, that's where I would start. If you already have source control but you don't have CI, that's where I would start. He says, assume that I'm the worst customer ever. Where do I start? I'm like, okay, hold on. So I just start rattling off. Okay, if you're the worst customer I can imagine, this is what I would do. He's like, where is that written down? I'm like, dude, it's not written down. I just made that up. I'm like, what do, you, what do you want from me? He's like, I need you to write that down so I can share it with my company. I'm like, fine. So I got on a plane and I got on DonovanBrown.com and I wrote out, if you were the worst customer ever, this is what I would tell you to do. <laughs> 
So yeah, it's like, dude, it depends. I don't know. And it's kind of neat the way that you can read that blog post because I even tell you, if you already have this, then you could skip this. But what hurts most for you is going to be very unique to you because even the scenario that you just described on why you don't use your nightly build and why you do not build that rep file as part of your nightly build is very specific to you and the scenario that you're in, right? And that's not going to apply to anyone else. So I can give you best practices, but you need to use those as guidelines and not like head, head fast rules that I have to do it this way. Well, not if it doesn't work for what you're trying to do. Absolutely. So you've already kind of answered this. One, one of the things that I always have a problem with DevOps or the, 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 I would love to see DevOps. Just what I love to see from Scrum when you have a, a cross-functional team or a team that's cross-functional. You know, uh, you have the QA. It's just part of the team, and I love that because I hate the silos. Yep. When you, when, you know, the old days when you develop it and they throw it over the wall to QA, and then uh, each one of those was <laughs> a pain point. Agreed. The thing that I loved about DevOps is the idea that we could break down this barrier, you know, between development and IT. Correct. Uh, but you're <laughs> What I just got from what you were saying earlier is that the barrier is in my head that I don't have to wait for IT to start doing application insights or to start using feature flags or gathering uh, usage telemetry or sign up for uh, an application performance monitor type of thing. I, I don't. Not at all. I'm, the, I'm only, the only person stopping me is me. And remember, the definition has people, process, and products in it. People is the hardest part. And sometimes the people that we're having trouble with is you, right? Like you're the problem. You just don't get it, right? You've been doing it the same way. You've convinced yourself that this is why it has to be done. And it's been working, uh, working in quotes, like however you feel it's working good enough to where you don't need to go invest in there anymore. But you got to free your mind. You got to look at ways that you can constantly get faster. I started my demo last night with a comparison of a 1950s pit stop with a pit stop from 2013. And I won't spoil it because I'm going to take that video on tour with me, but it kind of highlighted the fact that at, at one point there's two guys in the second pit stop that don't move. They just monitor the entire pit stop to figure out ways that they can go faster. And you need to do that with your pipeline. At every point, there has to be something that you can go and tweak, something that you can make better. Why do we have three builds? Can we reduce that down to two builds? Why am I not building the wrap file inside of my nightly build? Is there a way that I can just build it anyway? And if I don't need it, then go clean that up in an automated fashion where only if I release the wrap file does it stay permanently and everything else has an expiration date that just gets cleaned up so that I don't have to go maintain multiple builds. Like why challenge everything that you're doing in your pipeline and figure out if there's a way to do it better. And right now you seem very comfortable with what you're doing yet. You just wanted me to pat you on the back and say, yep, it's all right. But you weren't willing to go and say, you know what? I bet you I can do better here. <laughs> okay. You you're absolutely right because you know, the things, one of the things that comes bites me in the ass is when we have to make a change and it's like, I have to make it in, you know, to the bill. Yep. Uh, and just the compiling the source. Okay. I have to make it in three places exactly. and not just two. Or even right. place, right? And the funny thing is, is I do that to myself too. Is this, I look at a system and like, oh man, I'm having to change these values. Painful. That should be a variable in my build so that I can only have to change it one place. <laughs> and then tweak that, right? And the funny thing is, is that the more often that you have to do it, the quicker you are to automate, the quicker you are to oh, figure yeah. it out. I bet you you don't change those builds very often because if you did have to make the same change three times in a row every day, I bet you wouldn't have three builds today. Oh, hell no. Oh, exactly. Hell no. I, I'm a definitely a firm believer of doing it manual once is fine. Doing it manual second, twice is okay. Three times, no way in hell I'm automating this. Exactly, thing. exactly. So I have a feeling that this has been working for you in its current incarnation for quite some time with low maintenance. So therefore, you're not challenging that it's not. It couldn't get better. Even though it's not broken does not mean you can't improve it. Damn you, Donovan. <laughs>
I found your that post that you're talking about. I'll make sure that it's in the show notes. It's oh, um, cool. how do we get started with DevOps? Yep. And that's uh, yeah, I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So let's talk. Where are we at in time here? We're at about 30 minutes or so in. What was, in 2017? What was like the big DevOps moment? The explosion, the expansion, the growth, the light going on. What was the thing? Um, 2017. I think there's, there was a lot of influence and a lot of, uh, of, of Docker going on in 2016, yeah. like the Kubernetes. And there's like, there's a battle of the orchestrators, right? You have service <laughs> fabric, Kubernetes, Docker Swarm, DCOS. And obviously, if you look now, it's like Kubernetes are bust, right? It's like everyone's using Kubernetes now. And, and we've been trying to figure out how do we best implement and use containers in our DevOps pipeline. It changes the rules. It changes the game quite a bit because that image is now so easy to move around and you know it's been vetted, you know it's solid. It's it's really sped up a lot of what we do. And I've been using Docker more and more, even in our own uh, our website, the the L E was it L O E C D A dot com is the league's website. It's running inside of Kubernetes. And it's running in Kubernetes because I saw it's like that looks awesome. And the best way to learn something is to use something. Yeah. So I moved our site from app service over to Kubernetes and we're not we're never going back, right? It's just like this is freaking awesome. And then we uh, hired um, Jessica Dean to my team. She's a Kubernetes expert, thank goodness, because I'm not a Kubernetes expert. <laughs> and a week ago I brought our entire cluster down. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, what the hell do I do? So I did what any novice does. I spun up another cluster because of that I know how to do. And I moved my stuff over to the other cluster. But being able to do that so quickly was awesome. And then I had Jessica's, Jessica, please go back and find out what did I do. And being the Linux open source Kubernetes guru that she was, she was like, did you change any of your service principles? Like, yeah, I checked in a key in GitHub, so I had to, in, I had to invalidate all of them. I said, yeah, that's what broke your cluster, right? Give me another key. Let me get this back up and running for you. So a lot of, a lot of investments in Docker, a lot of ways of how we're going to use orchestrators and rub DevOps on that and make that better for a lot of people. Another thing that's on our radar right now is AI and machine learning, right? And mm-hmm. IoT. There's, they're really hot topics, but I haven't seen people rubbing a lot of DevOps on it yet, right? It just seems like we're doing it all manually. It's really complicated. It's the same nonsense that we got from everyone. Like, yeah, this is very specific. You can't really automate this stuff. I'm like, give me a freaking break. If you can, t- <laughs> I can teach a machine and it'll do it better and it'll never screw up. Right. It's like, but that's where we are in that world right now. It's just like, oh yeah, we're just, I think what's really happening is they're so embarrassed by what they're doing. They don't want to show it to me so I can automate it. Right. That's, that's <laughs> like what I'm justifying myself. At some point they'll get a critical mass, right? It'll be that Deploying it manually, doing it ourselves is way too slow. We've got to go get some help. And then we're going to go in there and we're going to figure out ways that we can use DevOps best practices to make sure that all your models are being updated correctly and that your applications are being deployed and they're being synchronized such that the model that you need and the API that you're using all line up together. And that's the same things that we've been fighting with other technologies and other application types. And we're just going to apply it to machine learning and AI as well. I'm going to have to look up a post. There's a MSDN blogger. That's been, here it is, uh, who's been blogging about DevOps for data science. Awesome. Who is this? Uh, Buck Woody. Okay. And only Buck Woody. Awesome, awesome. Has been blogging about that. So I'm going to have to put that in the, the show notes. Yeah, and I'll have to go and catch up on that too because I, I've, it was funny because I was supposed to be in an AI keynote and they were, they were, tight for time and DevOps got cut. I'm like, you guys just don't get it. <laughs> you just guys do not get it because of all the forces to cut, that would not have been the one that I would have chosen to cut from an AI. I understand you're trying to get people excited about all the cool stuff that you can build, but you have to deploy that. You, you can't just build it. 
you got to deploy it, and that's really, really important. So what part of DevOps is, like, underserved? What, what isn't getting the limelight? Say that again? Oh, underserved. Oh, well, one of the things that we've been spending a lot of time with, I, I, it's, it's a passion for me, and I've been telling my teams, like, we need to make sure that we have a really good story for packages. And not, not the app, not the full app, but a lot of people are just producing packages. And they're, again, they're doing it manually, and they don't have to do. I have two packages that I maintain in GitHub. One of them is a NPM package called Generator Team, which is a Yeoman mm-hmm. generator. And the other one is a PowerShell module. Essentially, you go to NPM and you go to NuGet. Um, so what I did is I said, figure out, I worked with Steve Moraski, who's on my team. I was like, okay, how do we make sure that we're using the DevOps best practice? And what's really cool there is inside of VSTS, we have package management. It can host NPM and Maven and NuGet. So what I wanted in my head is like, this is what I want to do, Steve. I want to build my package. I want to deploy it to my internal package management, and I want to install it from there. Why that was so important to me was because I had tested a module with loose files on my hard drive. I packaged it, deployed it to NuGet, and then when you download it, it didn't work. So you really need to go through the actual installation of the package before you test it to make sure that your manifest files are right. You identified all the files. You got your casing correct if you're going to Linux or to Mac. All that stuff bit me in the butt because I could only install it after I published it to the, to the uh, registry, and by then it's too late. So what we're doing now is we have a beautiful pipeline that will build your package for you, deploy it to our internal package management, and then download it as part of release management as you would install it if you were a user, and then test the code with integration tests, letting me know that not only is the code good, but the install and the package and the manifest are all right. And then we, in the last stage, we then publish it to the public store, either NPM or to the PowerShell gallery. Interesting, because we're doing uh, the, the publishing. We, we do a lot of uh, NuGet stuff here, and I've got that in our build pipelines, and we're publishing. We, we're using ProGit right now okay. um, inside because we had it before TFS had packet management. And, and, the, and, the, and the, what we're talking, the concepts is what we want. So it doesn't matter right. if it's if it's my Git. ProGit right, or right, right, package right. management. You want some temporary place for you to put it and say, I now get to test this exactly like my users are going to use it. I don't have to have this because you can actually test your PowerShell module by simply importing the module off your hard drive and it's not packaged. It's not a NuGet. It's no, you have nothing, right? And in loose files, it might behave a little differently than it will when you actually try to install that. You have to worry about your dependent modules and things like that being downloaded and installed automatically for you. It's funny that really going through the install is really, really important when you're dealing with packages. And we want to make sure that we make that really easy for you to do with VSTS. And that's my part. That's See, I'm doing half of it. Okay. We're publishing the package. And then, okay, we're done. It's like, well, now that you, you know, slap me upside the head, it's like, oh, well, Greg, you're a dumbass because you're only doing it half. Yeah. You're not doing the install part. You're not doing that part. And I only did that because I got burned by it, right? I mean, I learned yeah. the hard way because trust me, yeah. I wasn't doing it either. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm just going to publish it. And then all of a sudden people are like, Donovan, it doesn't work. I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't work? I tested it on my machine. Like when you install it, it does not work. I'm like, holy crap, my pipeline needs to try to install this. And I didn't want to install it into the PowerShell gallery until it was yeah. ready for my customer. So I needed a temporary storage, another clone of that. So I can say, let me go ahead and test it the real way. And if you look at my pipeline, I showed it last night. It's scary. Uh, Yo team goes through 43 environments before it ever sees the light of day. Very first environment does the install as it normally would. And then I have half a dozen agents all wake up and start testing every possible combination of TFS, VSTS, Java, Node.js, um, what is the other ones? .NET Core, .NET Framework on Docker, App Service, and Linux. It does all of them. So it's 43 environments that this code has to go through after being installed before it ever sees the light of day. It's, it's brutal, but that's the only way that I have confidence in it because I had a demo fail the other night 
and it was like, oh, like, trust me, this is not my code. I know my code is right. It went through 43 environments before this. And we look at the error message, and I had run out of my service principles, just like I was telling Abel. <laughs> I was like, hold on, guys. I ran a script, ran it again. I was like, I told you that code was solid. It doesn't get through 43 environments and not be perfectly uh, ready to rock and roll. So do it all. Don't do half-ass, man. It's better to half-ass. What is it? What is that one quote? It's like, uh, don't half-ass <laughs> things where you can whole-ass one thing. <laughs> So, yeah, do the whole thing. Okay. All right. You got me. Again. Damn, I'm not having you on again until next year. Exactly. That's why I only come on once a year. <laughs> so, now, what I've been seeing a lot in 2017 was the whole rise of DevSecOps. Yeah. That, Is that, it? That's a, I, I cannot uh, – like you, you kind of hit on a pet peeve of mine, right? Like DevSecOps, DevQualityOps. I mean, you, just because you throw some word in the middle of it, to me, there is no such thing as DevSecOps because security should have been a part of your DevOps pipeline in the beginning. Exactly. You don't need all these different variations of database DevOps. Like, what are you talking about? You mean you were deploying your app without deploying your database? Like, how are you getting past that stuff? It's really important that your entire solution be deployed. So there is no need for us to segment or departmentalize different types of DevOps. There is no different types of DevOps. There's one DevOps. It's about taking my solution and continuously delivering it to our customers. And if that requires security, if that requires database, if that requires whatever else you want to throw into between Dev and Ops, then it should have been in there already. We don't need a special discipline for that. It is one methodology, one practice of continuously delivering value. And everything that you need should be in there. So security is important. And we have tools that allow you to do that. We can scan your images. We can scan your packages. We can scan your files. We can do security threats. But I don't call it DevSecOps. I call it DevOps because I was doing that already. Because <laughs> that's what it is. Exactly. That is what DevOps is. I can't deliver value if I don't deploy my database. I can't deliver value if I have an unsecure application going out into production using packages that I know I shouldn't be using or using an image that I know has vulnerabilities in it. How is that delivering value? Right, you're fooling yourself if that's what you're actually doing. Those tasks, those processes should have been in your pipeline. There's only one, and it's DevOps. You don't if you need if you have DevOps and DevSecOps and Dev database ops, do you have three pipelines then? Right? One for <laughs> yeah. one of those things, and that you have to synchronize those some way? To me, that's absurd. I understand everyone's jumping on the DevOps bandwagon and you put DevOps in a title and everybody wants to read about it now. But to me, there's a limit. I'm like, no, I'm not buying into all that stuff, right? It's just you deploy your app. You need security, you need database, you need everything. Like you said, there can be only one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're getting close to the end, but I, I've got a couple more things I want to sure. make sure we, we hit on. Uh, what do you see, since we're at the first show of 2018, what do you hope to see or hope not to see in DevOps for the coming year? Uh Wow, that's a good one. Again, I, I really want to start getting on AI. Uh, I really want to start figuring out ways that we can use Visual Studio Team Services and do that. Another thing I'm really keen on this year is solving the database problem. Uh, the reason that a lot of people don't have their database in their pipeline is because it's hard. Uh, there's not a huge collection of tools out there. I was just introduced to Liquidbase and Flyway, which really piqued my interest because they're agnostic when it comes to the database that they're targeting, but they give you a way to be able to manage that. Historically, if you're using SQL Server, you could either use SSDT or ReadyRoll from Redgate. You could also use uh, code-first migrations, which come and can get a little tricky in your pipeline. And what we want to do is we want to make that really, really easy. We want to give you lots of options. Inside of Azure, we allow you to use MySQL, Postgres. We allow you to use SQL Server. And I don't want an Azure customer to be forced to use any one of those particular databases simply because that's the only one that we have tools for. 
So what I want to be able to do is say, hey, you want to go use MySQL? There's an extension in the marketplace that will allow you to go ahead and rub DevOps on your database as part of your DevOps pipeline. You want to do Postgres? You want to do SQL Server? Great. Whatever you want to do, we're going to help you deploy that solution in its totality. The packages, the database, run security scans, and I want all that stuff inside of VSTS to get you into Azure. So my focus will be on package management in 2018. It'll be on AI, and it'll be on the database, making those things just drop dead easy for our customers. Nice. nice. So last year when we chatted, uh, I asked you, why are you so excited about DevOps? This year I want to ask you, well, it's kind of, this is kind of actually a stupid question given the last 45 minutes we've been talking. <laughs> um, you, you are still excited about it, and it has not gotten old. No, it hasn't. It was funny. So last night uh, after, the, after we had the, the meetup, some gentleman asked, invited me to go have drinks. So I went out and sat with him, and there's a picture of – us at the table where I had to get out pencil and paper. I'm like, no, you don't get what I'm saying here. And here we are in a bar and I'm drawing pictures like you don't understand what I'm saying about deployment slots. And I got to get you to understand this because I can't have you leave here thinking what you said was right. I got to make even if even if you continue to do it the way that you're doing it, I need to know in my heart that you understand what I'm saying and that you're choosing not to do that, right, for the right reasons. And we literally sat there and this guy took a picture and tweeted like, wow, Donovan's like, after the meetup, still driving DevOps, still passionate about making sure that we get what he's talking about. It's like, I, I don't know why it gets me going. I don't, but it does. Like, like, I love the process. I remember my wife and I were recently watching a game, a show called uh, Skin Wars. And it's a really cool show where basically they have these painters who do body painting. I was like, we should have like a DevOps Wars. And we have a contest where I'm going to give you a solution. And I want you to go build a pipeline because to me, they're art, right? When you get a really hot pipeline, you can see the code just effortlessly flow through there. And it's going through all these environments and different testing. And what you get out at the end is this polished, perfect, secure piece of code. To me, like that is cool as any other contest that we could have. It's like, did you have security? How did you did you have your your database? How are you dealing with this? How did you deal with your secrets? Are you putting them in strong box? Like, there's so much that you can do and so much freedom when you're building a pipeline that it's it's fun to go off and and create that way. I'm not a creative where I can't draw and do stuff like that, but I feel like I get my creative part of me out through the pipelines that I build to deploy my code. So. I've got a feedback question that I want to ask you in a second. But first, um, where can people find you? At uh, Donovan Brown on Twitter is the number one way to get a hold of me. If you need to get a hold of my entire team, you can actually use hashtag L-O-E-C-D-A, which stands for the League E-C-D-A. E-C-D-A? Right. It stands for the League of Extraordinary Cloud DevOps Advocates. So just each of the letters. So hashtag L-O-E-C-D-A. And what happens is when you use that hashtag, it's like a bat signal because inside of our team room, inside of Microsoft Teams, we get a notification every single, every single time that hashtag is used. And we all can go to that tweet and see, okay, how can we help this person be successful with DevOps to Azure? So if you need help and you're stuck on something that goes to Azure and you're trying to rub DevOps on it, use that hashtag. You will get my entire team to go look at that tweet and see what we can do to help you. Awesome. I'll make sure that I'll have that in the show notes as well. So one of our listeners, um, avid listeners, um, Robin Martin, emailed me and he had a question on it. I'm going to read this to you. And this is totally unfair. Uh, and, you know, but that's, you know, the way we kind of roll here. <laughs> but um, so Robin is, he's using 2018 on-prem with the TFBC project. When I create a new build using the empty process template and get sources task, the get sources task is automatically added as a first step. Fine. This task always gets the latest sources by specifying the latest chain set number in the command line at runtime. He knows that there is an agent variable build.source version 
and it, it contains the latest value of the, the latest change set. And he also knows that he can queue a build using a specific one, a, a specific build source version. What he wants to do is instead of doing it at, you know, queue time, is in the build definition, he wants to specify the source version. Does that make sense? Uh, I know what he's trying to do. I don't, I don't know why he's trying to do that, but you can actually tell the build system, do not do the get. You can, it's in the, I think it's on the very first process tab where you choose what agent pool you want. At the bottom, you can say, skip the step where you actually do a get source. And then you can then write a piece of PowerShell or use TF or whatever command line you want to just go do the get of the specific version. So you're basically going to write out the TF command that does the get latest or get specific version with the chain set ID that you want that build to always produce. And that way you won't waste time doing a get of the latest. And then you'll be able to specifically say, that is the one chain set that I want you to go do the, the pull from. And the rest of the build is going to pick up from there. I had to do that for the generator uh, team. Whenever you're doing a, an NPM package, the name of the folder is extremely important when you go to publish. It can't be some generic name. It has to be the name of the package. And when you do, when you let VSTS do the get for you, it's in an A folder. I mean, it literally the folder's name right. is A, or yeah. no, or it's S. I'm sorry, it's S. S for source, source yeah. and then there's one for artifacts, which is A. Yeah. But S isn't good enough for me. So what I had to tell VSTS to do is like, stop doing that. And I'm going to basically do a git clone myself into the folder name that I need, and then the rest of my build actually works. So you can take complete control over what actually gets downloaded. Why he wants to hard code a build number into a build? I mean, why would I need to rebuild the same stuff over and over again would be my question. Like, once you have the build, you have the output. It's going to always be the output if you rebuild the same chain set over and over again. The, the one thing he does, he, he we went back and forth because he posted this on Stack Overflow, and that was pretty much the answer that he got on Stack Overflow as well. Okay. Um, as, as, you know, like I... I know I've got a great reason to do a three build process. Uh, Robin, he's, you know, thinks he's got a pretty good reason to deal with this. Um, but I, one of his major points though is that you've got this agent variable that's, that's available, but you can't set it. It's like a read only type variable. And, and the, one of the points that he wanted to make is that if you make, you know, all of the parameters need to be configured. Mm. Yeah. I think the problem there is, is that I, Theoretically, I bet it's just an environment variable, but that step happens before you're ever, any of your tasks are ever executed, right? So you can't kind of get in front of that task execution is the problem. But I bet yeah. theoretically you could change that because it's probably just an environment variable. You're just not given a chance to change it before the get already happens. Oh, I, oh, that makes me think of something. Hold on. So what, what you might want to try is go into your variables. And if you know the name of that variable, put that as a variable of your build and heart, put whatever value that you want. Because I believe all those variables that you put do end up as environment variables. So I'm wondering if you can simply override the environment variable with the value that you put in that variable section. And that should happen before your build actually starts. That's interesting. Yes, because so, they all end up being environment variables. That's all they are. So if you know the name of it, go to the variables tab, add that variable name, and put whatever chain set ID you want in there and run your build again and let us know if it works. Hmm. All right, Martin, let us know. Send me, uh, send me an email back and let me know if that works for you, Martin. Uh, Robin, sorry. Robin. Um, so, Donovan, we're coming to the end of the show. Was there anything that I should have asked you but didn't? Oh, no. You, something you mentioned that was interesting to me is right before we came on the air, you told me you were talking to the guys from the uh, – Global DevOps Bootcamp. Right. Last show, we did that great panel with them. Man, those guys are awesome. I was so honored last year because it was the first year that they had ever done it. And they asked me to do a virtual keynote, which I went into the Channel 9 studios and I basically recorded a, an intro for their presentation. And I completely forgot about it. 
I didn't remember the dates uh, when it was supposed to start. I was going to go and physically be at one of them, but I didn't know what time it was going to start. And normally my Twitter feed's pretty consistent, like five or six followers a day. It's not so big deal. And then all of a sudden I wake up. And my phone is just blowing up. It's like 20 plus notifications. I'm like, what's going on? I usually only get 20 plus notifications after I speak at a conference. I didn't speak last night, did I? I mean, did I sleep speak <laughs> at a conference? <laughs> I don't understand what's going on. So I look at my phone and I realize they're all tweets of pictures of, of those DevOps boot camps starting up with my video playing. And what was really cool about that is for 24 hours, my phone would blow up every hour because they would wake up in another country, they'd start it, they'd play my video, and people would start tweeting that picture. And it was like the most overwhelming Twitter experience I've ever had was every time I grabbed my phone, it was 20 plus notifications of another country waking up and starting the DevOps boot camp. So I wish those guys all the luck in 2018. Uh, the league, I have actually have a meeting with them uh, the week of the 24th, and we're going to see how the league can get involved and, and help promote that event because we're such a big fan of it. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, Mr. Brown, thank you very much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Always my pleasure. And you listeners, do you want to send us an email? Want us to ask your questions? Send us an email at radiotfs.luck.com. We're on Twitter as well, at RadioTFS. We're on Facebook, slash RadioTFS. And voicemail. Remember, if your voicemail is safe for work, I'll play it on the air. And this number works because I just called it last week and left myself a voicemail message, which I'm not going to play on the air. But um, it's one. 425-233-8379. Don't try to write that down. Just go to RadioTFS.com. We have the number. It'll be there on the post as well. And finally, the, the sticker offer is still open. I'll send you Radio TFS stickers and DevOps stickers. Just email us at RadioTFS.outlook.com. Uh, uh, send a tweet. If you send me a tweet or send RadioTFS a tweet, um, I'll reply and follow you and we'll DM and get the, uh, the mailing address if it's in the... In Europe, Martin will send it to you. If you're here in North America, I'll send it to you. And, and it's free. And I'll send you not just enough for you, but for your team as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I hope you enjoyed the show with Donovan. Donovan, again, thank you very much for the show. We'll have to have you on next year, if not soon. Yeah, I'll put it in my calendar right now, and, and we'll definitely do it. Even if I'm on again, we need to make sure I'm the first show of 2019. I love it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Radio TFS. <laughs>